Well, this is our last week in Isaiah chapter 6. Um, there's only one verse, and it's up on the screen for you. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. As I was reflecting on this this week, the very first thought I looked at was from God's perspective. This wasn't a worried or confused or anxiety-filled question. God wasn't up on his throne, wringing his hands, going, Oh, who's going to do this? Oh my goodness, how are we going to get this done? God actually wasn't even talking to Isaiah. If you read, if you read, into, read this and look at it, if you remember, Isaiah has been given a vision of the heavenly throne room of God. This is the council of God. This, imagine the king sitting on his throne and his advisors all standing around him and they're hashing out a problem. And the king is seeking counsel from the various advisors. And God turns to his heavenly council and he says, so, we got a plan, but who's going to do this for us? See, God was speaking from a position of power. It was God's choice to make who was going to go. It wasn't God wringing his hands, singing, oh, I wish I had some source, some way to help me. It was God already having a plan and already knowing what his plan was and who was going to accomplish the plan. But he was giving opportunity. Quite honestly, it didn't really make a hill of beans to God who did it. Really and truly. As long as the work got accomplished, that's all God cared about. But God was giving opportunity. He was looking for someone who could be trusted. He was looking for someone who would be faithful. Now, you just heard me talk to the kids about the exclamation point. And I have to admit, that's not my thought here. That was somebody else's thought, but I thought it was an easy way to explain to the kids this idea of willingness and, and earnestness. But after I read that little children's sermon, when I looked it up online and I, I found that particular one, I thought that'll work for this morning, it bugged me. Because that's not how I see this. I see it differently. And I will justify my seeing it differently by telling you, I went through every translation of the Bible that I own, and I looked at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, in every single one of them, and there is not consistency in the punctuation. Sometimes, the here am I, exclamation point, send me, period. Sometimes, it's here am I, period, send me! exclamation point. And half of the time, it's here am I, period, send me, period. Now, I don't get wrapped up around exclamation points. That's, that's the person who's doing the interpretation of this verse and their understanding of how it's being expressed and their best way to express it. And obviously, in these different translators' hearts and minds, there was different emotion that they were trying to express. What I see 
And this is the one that rings truest for me. This doesn't mean that I'm right. It just means this is what rings truest for Bob Sugden as he's trying to understand this passage of Scripture. I see this little puny human being who's been given a, wi a window of, of looking into the throne room of God. And just moments before, we've seen him going, Oh my God, I'm so dirty and filthy and I don't even, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And all of a sudden he's cleansed by the burning of the coal touching his lips that the seraph brought to him. Now he's standing in full confidence, watching the proceedings. He's not in the midst of the proceedings, in my mind. He's off in a corner, hiding, standing along a pillar or something, just kind of watching quietly. The throne of God, all of the advisors around the throne, and God says, we've got a plan, and we need to make this plan work. Who's going to go for us? What do you guys say? And all of a sudden, you hear Isaiah standing in this column, going, I'll go. And all of a sudden, all of heaven's throne room becomes silent. And everyone turns and looks at Isaiah. I had that happen once in my life. My wife and I were um, asked to sing at a wedding of friends of ours. And we were not able to get to the location in time for the rehearsal because it was hours and it was like four hour drive to get from where we lived to where the wedding was and I had to work on the day of the rehearsal and so we left work, drove up the four hours, arrived after the rehearsal just in time to have the rehearsal dinner which was lobster, it was great because it was up in Maine um, and then the next morning was the wedding, right? So we're really nervous, this is really important, you're singing at somebody's wedding and you know we were singing together and it was scary and, and, and I kept saying it's okay, it's okay, it's okay they're not going to be looking at us. They're going to be looking at the bride and groom. It's not us. It's, we're just in the background. It's just the bride. We're just there providing music for the wedding. Everyone's focus is going to be on the bride and groom. So we're there. The wedding's going on. And it comes time for us to sing the song. And the entire bridal party, including the bride, the groom, and all of the bridesmaids and all of the ushers do this. <laughs> and we're like... Then we have to sing, and then, then everybody turns back to the bride and the groom. And it was like, oh! Well, in my mind's eye, that's what I picture happening to Isaiah, okay? He's standing over here by the pillar, just quietly listening. God says, well, who's going to go for us, guys? And I say, well, I'll do it. Everybody in heaven's throne room turns to Isaiah, and he's like, oh, you heard that? <laughs> And then there's this fatherly twinkle in God's eye. Like, I'm so proud of my boy. Isaiah, come on up. Yeah, you, come on up. You'll go for us. And this is what I want you to do. And then he lays out the plan for him. That's how I picture it. It's an intimate thing. God not going, I need someone, and Isaiah going, me, I'll, I'll go. It's literally this, well, I'll do it, if, if, if nobody else. And God's like, yeah, exactly, I see in you, I see in you, someone who I know I can trust, who will do for me what I need done. 
For me, that's the way my life has been, honestly. I mean, I came to know Jesus when I was 16 years old. And I don't, I don't know how to express it other than to say, from the moment I became a Christian, I have always had a sense in my heart that I did not want to be just, and the way I used to put it when I was 16, I don't want to be Joe Average Christian that just goes to church on Sunday. I want to do something for God every day of my life. That's how I lived my life as a brand new baby Christian. And at 16, I didn't know anything. I was just walking with friends who knew the Lord, and nobody was really mentoring me. But this was what I felt in my heart. Three years later, I'm now 19 years old, and I now have a pastor who's actually mentoring me, and I'm beginning to understand that this sense in my heart that has always been there is actually the calling of God calling me into full-time Christian ministry. The issue is, I've already signed a contract with the United States government to serve the Air Force for four years. So I have to wait till that contract's over with, but when I'm done with my four years, I'm out. And I'm going to go to Bible college. Well, first I'm going to go to, to just a regular general liberal arts college get my bachelor's degree. And then I'm going to go to the seminary and get my master's of divinity degree. And then I'm going to be a pastor because that's what's on my heart. And so at the age of 22, my enlistment was up. I got out of the Air Force. I started going to Angelo State University in San Angelo, Texas, just taking a regular undeclared major at this point, just taking basic education. And it was like three and a half weeks later during my quiet time, that the Holy Spirit of God said, I want you to get back on active duty. What? This doesn't make sense. But I prayed about it, and I felt like that's what God said. And so, I re-enlisted. Now, the government didn't have a job for me right away. It took them almost three months to finally come back with an offer. But there was at that time a program where I could come back on active duty within 90 days and not lose any time as far as anything other than just the 90 days that I wasn't on active duty. But I didn't lose my pay grade. I, I, I basically, it was just I had a bump in my, my, my timeline. <clears throat> so I joined the Air Force, this time for six years, because come on, we're going to do this. The end result was that by the time I was 28 years old, I was ready to get out of the Air Force now. Because God had told me to go to the military, I did. And I was now in the, in the Philippines, because that's where the Lord, that's where the Air Force had taken us. And it was time for me to get out, and I was like, man, I don't want to separate from the United States Air Force while I'm living overseas. I don't have a car, I don't have a job, I don't have a house, I don't have nothing, and I've got a family now. What am I going to do? And the opportunity came for me to, to cross-train into another career field. And I took that as the hand of God, and so I went ahead and signed the paperwork, because it only required me extending my contract for one year. So now I get out of the Philippines, I come back to Mississippi, I retrain into the new career field, <clears throat> I then have one year commitment, and less than six months later, I get told by the military, oh, we're doing a reduction in force. You either get out now, or you re-enlist now. But I'm not prepared. I still, I don't have all the, I, I, so I sought counsel. And the person I sought counsel from was a retired district superintendent who said, you don't want to hear my, my advice. And I said, why? He said, because I tell you to stay in for the full 20. No, I don't want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> but as we prayed about it, we believed that that's what God was calling. So we went ahead and signed up and ended up staying a full, actually, 21 years in the military. And it was God's plan. I don't have time this morning to tell you all of the different things that happened in my life as a result of following God's plan. But God ended up doing incredible work in my life, preparing me for what he ultimately had for me. Okay? So then it comes time for me to go 
into Bible college. I go to Bible college for five years. At the end of Bible college, God calls me to two rivers. And without question, I know that I'm called to two rivers to be the pastor here. And so we come, and we've been here now just shy of 13 years. Okay? So that's my story. That's my pathway at this point. I have learned through 40 years of knowing Jesus as my personal Savior to, to read his word, to hear, to listen carefully for what he wants to say to me, trying to discern what he's saying, seeking counsel from other Christians, seeking counsel from mentors, ending up, finally, I'm here. And I didn't know what I was doing, quite frankly, and I was blessed to have a congregation that was gracious because I messed up a number of times over the last 13 years I, I, don't, I could probably count them only on a few on my hands hands, so about 10 times or so um, but there's been times that I've hurt people through my inexperience my, 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 my just stupidity and I've had to go back and say I'm sorry but we're still here praise God because of grace we're still here also, because I truly believe with all of my heart that God has specifically called me and Renee here. We feel no compunction to go anyplace else. We've prayed about it. I've talked about it with Pastor, Pastor uh, Paul, our district superintendent. Because I said to him, Pastor, this is my very first church. I don't know what it feels like for God to say it's time to move on. See, when I was in the military, the military moved us. And we just trusted that God worked through the military. But now, I'm here on my own, and I just have to decide, is this God's timing, or is this not God's timing? And there's nobody giving me a little card that says, it's time to move on. I have to pray about it regularly. And honestly, I have no understanding or feeling that I should. Now, I will tell you, and I won't tell you who, but I will tell you that I was here two and a half years. And a person called me and said, can I come and visit with you and your wife for a moment? I said, sure. So they came over and sat in our living room, and they said, Pastor... You've been here for about two and a half years. And things are going really well. As a matter of fact, it's probably the best this church has ever been. Would you consider leaving? What? And the words were, every time we've had a pastor, they've come, things are going well, they hit a plateau, it starts to wane, they stay, they stay, they stay, then they leave and we're left in the doldrums again. Until somebody else comes in and helps us to get back up. We're on a high right now. Could you leave so we get somebody else to pick up from there and move on? And obviously I didn't. But I thought to myself afterwards, I, and Renee and I talked to her, I said, Wow, what a painful experience for a church to go through to feel that way. And honestly, I didn't have the understanding or experience 13 years ago to know what I know now. I spent the last week going through all of the minutes of the Church of the Nazarene here in Two Rivers for every time a board, board meeting happened. Now, unfortunately, we don't have complete records for 40 years, but I have relatively complete records for 40 years. And so I was able to read through the minutes of the meetings all of the ups and downs of this congregation for the last 40 years. And for those of you who weren't here, there were some really wonderful, glorious times but there were also some really dark, dismal times. Um, there was one point, for those of you who've been here long enough to remember, back in 1997, 98, 
where the district superintendent came and had a meeting with the church board. And I've got the paper downstairs if you want to read it. And they literally, the board, the church, the district superintendent said to each board member, share with me what's on your heart. And, and they recorded in this meeting minutes what each person said. And the heart was, we're just dying here. We're just about dead. It feels like there's nothing left. How in the world can we continue on? And the district superintendent looked at the board members and he said, this district will support you through this. Yes, your finances are bad right now, but we will pick up the slack and we will make sure that you guys make it through if you want to make it through. And I thought, wow, God. I walked in after Pastor Apgar left. And I read the very beginnings of his tenure here. According to what I read, Pastor Apgar, the guy who just preceded me, he was um, brought in as, a, as an interim pastor. He was brought in as an interim because he didn't have licensing or ordination in the Church of the Nazarene. He had come from another denomination. And so he supplied here for a year, and then the board met with the district superintendent, and the district superintendent said, do you guys want him to stay? And they said, yes, this is wonderful. This is The church is really growing under his ministry. And so then the district superintendent in these records that I read said, well, he hasn't fulfilled all of the requirements yet for us to give him a license. So we're going to have to just continue him as a supply pastor until he does meet that. And then I can appoint him as a pastor here. And so finally, Pastor Apgar finished, apparently, and he got his district license, and then finally he was appointed here. And he ultimately stayed here five and a half years or so, and then Renee and I came. And um, this, what I read in this was that Pastor Apgar was used of God to bring health back, and hope back, and a sense of encouragement to this congregation. And that's, that's really cool. I never knew that prior to yesterday when I was reading that part of it. And I thought, Lord, in 13 years now, what have I done? And I started reading through my minutes of the, of the meetings that I've been the pastor here. And what I saw was this. I saw that in one of my first board meetings... There was no understanding of how much it would cost to run this church for a year. I saw that there was a youth group that was vibrant, but not Christian. They were just a place for the young people of this church, of this community to hang out on Friday night. But there wasn't any spiritual formation taking place for them. There was a little bit, but I mean not anything significant. What I saw was um, finances that were really hurting, people that were committed, I mean tenaciously committed, digging their, their nails in saying, we are going to see this through. Where six years earlier, they were feeling like it was over with and it was time to close up the door of the shop. And so I saw that God had brought health and he brought through my ministry so far, um, he has brought Physical plant uh, repair. This church building, when I first got here in my first year, you can read it in the record. The engineer said, bulldoze this building. It'll never stand. 
And God, through his providence and through work and witness and through the faithfulness of this congregation, has kept this building standing. We have seen floods from freeze-ups. We have seen floods from breakup. We have seen problems with our electricity. For those of you who don't remember, they had to dig up all of the electric lines in the, in the thing because we had problems with brakes and power outage issues. I mean, it's, it's amazing all of the stuff that was wrong with this physical plant, okay? But you see, I had all of the experience from my military career to know how to run a working witness team and how to blah, blah, blah. All of the things that I needed to do, God prepared me through my ministry in, I mean, through my years of service in the military, he prepared me for my ministry here. And the thing that I see is, now, quite honestly, I truly feel like we're on the cusp. I really do. I mean, there's a couple of things that I want to share with you as far as the scriptures and, and some of these, and I've already spent almost 20 minutes talking to you about my stuff, but there is some really cool things in my heart. And I need for those of you who weren't here to hear these things. Number one, back in 2004, I've been here a year, God, through the district superintendent, had us do a, a faith projection that in four years, where do you see your church? And I prayed about it and I wrote out this information. Oh, and it's right here in my Bible. And it says, on May 27, 2004, uh, today is May 27, 2004, and on May 27, 2008, we will have, with God's help, at least 100 total in our membership, 150 worship attendants, 100 Sunday school in attendance, and a church plant. Signed, Robert F. Sutton Jr., pastor of the Tudor's Community Church of Nazareth. And then in 2008, God said to me, Bob, what about that? You don't have 100 in attendance. You don't have 150 members. You don't have 100 in Sunday school. And you certainly haven't planted a church. What do you say about that? Do you believe that it was possible? Yeah. Really, do you believe it? I do. I really do. Okay. If you really do, proclaim it to the people. What? Proclaim it to the people. So I did. I began proclaiming it. 150 fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in this congregation owned that. And we started getting excited. I had people talk about knocking walls out to make more room in here so we could go to multiple services. And I've, and I've, I've looked over the 13 years and I've gone, God... Quite honestly, if I look at the statistics, it's 30. I don't see that you... I mean, we had 60 at one point, but that was when you had three families that had six kids each. You know, so... And those three families left, and then we went back down to 30. So, it was like, God, what's going on? And the thing that God kept saying to me was, as I've been reflecting on this, He said, but Bob, are you being faithful to what I've called you to do? Well, Yeah. Is it my job or your job to create the growth? It's your job, God. That 21st century thing of the corn stalk. Prophesy over the corn and let me do my work. Okay? The other thing that God said to me through the scriptures, Isaiah, excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 47 and Ezekiel 37 have been two primary texts of scripture that God has used in my formation as the pastor of this congregation. Isaiah, Ezekiel 47 first talks about the temple in Jerusalem and how in the vision Ezekiel saw a river flow out from the temple and flood into the valleys and it says it started out as a trickle and then it got deeper, ankle deep and then it was shin deep and then it was knee deep and then it was thigh deep and then it was so deep 
that you had to just swim in it because you couldn't walk in it anymore. And it says in Isaiah 47, wherever the river went, there was life. And I had an intercessor come to me and say, Pastor, God spoke to me this morning in my devotions as I was reading Ezekiel 47. And God said for me to tell you that he wants you to know that he is going to flow a river of life by his spirit from the Two Rivers Community Church out to this community. But pastor, you have to lay back and float and let the spirit take you where the spirit wants to take you. You cannot continue to try to wade and stand on your two feet. You have to lay back and let the Spirit of God carry you wherever He wants. That was not easy for this control freak. But I have, through the years, learned. And I'm still learning. But I'm much better at it now than I ever was. The other passage, Ezekiel chapter 37. This is the passage of the vision of the valley of dry bones. And the story goes that Ezekiel is standing over a valley where there's a bunch of human bones, just a pile of bones. And the Spirit of God says to Ezekiel, prophesy over those bones, Ezekiel. And so he does. And literally he sees in his vision all of these bones coming out of the jungle and forming human skeletons laying on the ground. And he says, prophesy again. And he does again. And then sinews and ligaments and tendons and muscles and then finally skin. And they become human vessels, human beings, but they're not alive. And then he says, prophesy again. And the breath of God goes into these skeletons now that are, that are covered with flesh. And it says that God, by his spirit, raises up a full army. To bring about the work that God has need for. And God said to me, Bob, 150 fully devoted followers, it's my job to bring them to life. It's your job to prepare. It's your job to get things ready. It's your job to prophesy when necessary. It's your job to, to do what is necessary. And the specific thing for me, as, as I meditated on that, was this idea of the skeletons. In my mind, it was like God was saying to me, Bob, if you will, on this physical plant, prepare, I'll bring the life. If you will do what is necessary, I will bring the life. And so in my mind, I've been seeing, okay, God, and there was a, a list, literally a list of things that began to form, and I wrote them down. And literally, in the 13 years Things that had to happen have happened. We have a building that we can worship in that stays warm. We have a building that doesn't flood anymore. We have a handicap ramp that is an architectural beauty. We have finances that are working. Did you realize that we came this close to being in the black this year? That's very difficult for this congregation. If you look back through the history, we don't work in the black. We usually work in the red. This year we came within, I don't remember what the figure was because we had to do some, some last minute calculations, but we literally came within $1,000 of being in the black. Praise God. Look around, people. Where did the money come from? The 20 people in this room gave the $70,000 that it took to run this congregation last year. That's amazing to me. Now, the thing that has been bothering me is this, and I prayed about whether or not I need to go here. 
And I need to go here. In my life's and my experience as Christians who follow the Lord, wherever we've gone, God has used us to enhance, to build up, to strengthen, to change, to create out of nothing. Whatever it was God had for us at that location. And when it reached maintenance mode, we got moved. And I have struggled for the last year. I've talked with Pastor Paul. I've talked with fellow pastors. I've prayed. I have asked God over and over and over again. God, I'm just about done with the list of things you asked me to do. We've got a good, sound, physical plant. We have a good, healthy finances. We've got pretty solid spiritual formation going on. There's still things that need to happen, yes. But pretty solid right now, God. Everything's good. Are you getting ready to move me? And the answer is no. I mean, the answer is no at this point. But the answer is be ready. That's what I'm hearing from God. Now, I am not telling you that I am looking for anything, because I'm not. But I am telling you that I'm trying very carefully to listen to the Word of God, because I do not want to stay one minute longer than I'm supposed to. Because if I do, I'm out of His will. And I'm also hindering the work of this church. And so, in my heart, I have to stay on my face before Him. I have to stay clean before Him. I have to stay diligent in reading the scriptures, listening to the Holy Spirit, praying regularly, seeking counsel, because it's my job as the spiritual leader of this house to find out the vision and to proclaim that vision for this body. It's my job to watch out for the wolves in sheep's clothing that come in into our midst and try to wreak havoc and harm. It's my job to equip the saints for the service for which they're called. Ephesians chapter 4, I think it's verse 12. Okay? So the question that I have as your pastor is this. Why are you here? I know why I'm here. I know what my role is. I know what my purpose is. What are you here for? Because quite honestly... If God doesn't intend for you to be here, please leave. And I don't mean that because I don't like you, but I mean it sincerely. If you're going to cause problems, pain, heartache, then leave. If you're here because you know that you know that you know that God has you here, and there's a purpose for you here, then be here. And if you're going to be here, seek out what His plan for you is. What are your gifts? What are your experiences? What are your desires, your joys? What are your talents? Why does God have you in the Two Rivers community, at the Two Rivers Community Church of the Nazarene, at this time? You know, the, the, the phrase, for such a time as this, ran through my mind this week. For such a time as this, I know I'm here because of a plan that God has. I don't know the end. I really don't. But I'm walking day by day, as faithful as I can, listening carefully to the Holy Spirit and trying to turn right when He tells me to turn right and turn left when He tells me to turn left and go straight when He tells me to go straight. 
I'm trying to be faithful as a shepherd. I'm trying to be faithful as a prophet. I'm trying to be faithful as a business manager over a corporation. Which is the part I hate. But why are you here? What do you have that God sees value in? And that's why he's got you at this place at this time. Now, let me share also with you. I do believe, just like that 21st century um, cornstalk parable, there were 12 ears of corn that were harvested. Six of them were fully ripe and fully fruitful and ready to be eaten, if you will. Three of them were in process but weren't quite there yet. And three of them were just getting started. So I'm saying to you this morning, it may be that you're here to grow. And you're not supposed to take on a role right now. You're supposed to just be here to become a stronger, better Christian. I had a family that came here a few years ago. You won't hear their name from my lips because that's inappropriate. But this person came with their family and they had just gone through a horrible, horrible tragedy in their life and they were broken as a human being, not just as a Christian. And I looked them in the eye and I said, you are welcome here, but I am telling you, you are not welcome to do anything in this church for at least a year. It is your place to come here and to be ministered to and to heal from all of the pain that's in your life right now. And in a year, you and I will talk again and we'll see where we're at. But for right now, I don't even want you volunteering to wash windows. Nothing. You just come and soak. And see, that may be where you are right now. It may be that you don't need to be doing anything. You need to just have the Holy Spirit pour into you because of whatever's been going on in your world. But it may be, it may be, that you're a fully ripe, fruitful ear of corn getting ready to rot because you're unwilling to say, here am I. So I encourage you and I challenge you spend time with your father in these coming days. We're on the cusp of something incredibly, powerfully, gloriously God-honoring. I have no idea what it's going to be or how it's going to look. I can tell you some of the things that are in my heart. Some of the things that are in my heart, God has renewed the 150 vision in my heart. God has said to me, you can't fit 150 people in this building at one time. And the reality is, that's not what I'm asking of you, Bob. Well, then how are we going to 150? Nothing says you can't have another church someplace that you are responsible for planting. And that would be 150 people through the ministry of the Two Rivers Community Church of the Nazarene that are serving in my kingdom. Really? And then the Lord said, when I looked at that and saw that as a reality, he said, and what's to say it wouldn't be two daughter churches? And it's 50 here and 50 there and 50 there. Can you see 50 people meeting regularly in your church there in Sheet Hot Springs Road? Yeah, that's doable, God. But let's work that way. These are things God has been saying to me over the last number of months. But you see, it's not going to be me that does it. 
It's my job to proclaim. It's my job to cast the vision. It's your job to own it and run with it. Why are you here? Are you the person who has the house that we're supposed to be meeting in with the next group? And I'm not talking about this group. We're talking about another 50 people who don't have anything to do with God or church right now. Who knows? Pray about it. Are you the person who has gifting and skills in how to help people come to know Jesus as their Savior? In other words, an evangelist. And maybe you're the one that needs to come in and train the rest of us. Are you the one who is gifted in compassionate ministry? And as these new souls come into this kingdom or broken ones come from another place that are broken, you are going to help us to reach into their lives and show love and compassion and care as they heal. This could be a hospital of souls. This could be, as has been alluded to, a training camp to send out. Who was Durrell? Do you remember him? Who was Durrell? There's a man named Darrell here who felt called to music ministry, and he was the worship leader here. He's not here now, obviously, because God has called him on, but this church nurtured his ministry. It was incredible to read in these records of this church how God has used this church through the years to grow people and to empower them and send them out. We live in a very transient community. So maybe that's what God's going to do. Raise us up to 50, move them out, bring another 50 in. Move them out, bring another 50 in. I don't know. But my prayer is, let me see some of it, please, God. I don't want to build it for somebody else to start working with. I'll do that if that's what you want, but that's not what I want. I want to, I want to be able to enjoy some of the fruit. And we'll see. I'm being faithful. I promise you I will not stay longer than I'm supposed to. And I promise you I won't lie to you. Okay? When I sense God calling me away, you're going to know. Because I don't believe in playing that game of showing up on a Sunday and saying, oh, by the way, <laughs> we're gone next week. I don't think that's right. I know that's the normal practice, but I, I just can't do it in my heart. And I don't think God would ask me to. So you'll know when the time comes. The way I want to close this service is there are people in this congregation that you have elected to lead this congregation, the church board. They are uh, incredible servants. They are gifted in each and various ways. And they have become a very powerful, for me, team and an ally as I try to pastor this church. I told them at our last board meeting, I, I love them, and this is the best it's been for me. I really feel very good with the team we have right now. But they need empowerment, encouragement, and a kick in the butt to help them see the vision that God has for this church as well. And I don't mean that they're not working, but I mean they really need a bush, an oomph from the people of this congregation. And so what I'd like to do is close our service just gathering up here. I don't want to gather at the altar, but just gathering up here and having the, the board members stand and then the rest of the congregation just around and laying hands on them and praying a blessing on them. Um, let me close with prayer. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you.
thank you so much, God, for allowing my wife and I to serve you here. And I just ask, God, that you would continue this and bring forth incredible fruit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.